0: Here we are, excuse me, in the uh, sick, ravaged Cliffside Community Chapel, which is just this, whatever it is, is, three-week. How long did it take for you to overcome this, Becky? Almost a month. month. And same for you, Robin, almost a month. Uh, Same for Terry. So one of the three of you is going to go under tremendous scrutiny and civil litigation, because obviously you have caused this on the rest of us. But boy, is it sweeping through this place. and. um, and it's doing its thing, and it takes as, as the three of you attest, it t- takes a month to get through it. So, we'll do the best we can today, March the seventeenth, two thousand nineteen, lecture discussion number fifty-six on the book of Joel. This is kind of transitionary, transition, transition, not transitionatory because it, I'm picking up a few pieces here to get us to the next place, and uh, so it might uh, seem more disjointed than normal. Uh, uh, We have found ourselves embroiled in an abundance of little controversies that I have raised, I hope, and today uh, we'll begin the ordered series of actions that result in the emancipation from all these entanglements that I have intentionally placed around us. In other words, it's my usual cliffside plan that rarely ends with anyone being content besides me. As the fearless leader, I reside in my own category. And that's not surprising to any person, not even the health, the mental health facility. They have, I have a full folder on me now. Okay, to remind everybody the prominent recent issues, and not all of them, I've got to erase things, and yes, we'll get back to timelessness next week. It seems to be something that people are very interested in, and there's arguments everywhere. By everywhere, I mean Dana. So it's fantastic, and and, uh, I'll get back to it, but not much time for it today. (laughs) Thanks for laughing, one person. You were slow. You, what, what, you have this parasitical thing wrapped around you. What do you call that again? A, a, a baby. Ba, baby? Okay. Okay. In some cultures, yeah. Oh, no kidding. But I'll get to it again. But the issues prominent now are freedom and slavery as God defines it, describes it. As He, he gives us the definitions of freedom and slavery, and he has a timelessness frame of observation. And that bears reemphasizing all discussions of terminology, especially biblical, but all of them, frankly, should first establish God's frame of reference. Where is he? How does he see things that we see? It's not the same. So when he has a word or an or, or any kind of uh, of um, content, you have to recognize that it is not from a inside of time frame of reference. So that's foremost: establish God's frame of reference, and therefore, what is His definition? Because it's not the same as our anthropomorphic, humanistic inside of time reference frames. His is different from us. And when you try to push your thoughts onto him, that ends in tra- traumatic uh, mistakes. And, and I'm not suggesting that humanistic um, inside of time definitions be discarded. I know that's not wise, but only that the author of Scripture has the preeminent supremacy. He has supremacy in regard, with regard to his perspectives. His meanings have to be thoughtfully considered before we add our meanings to it. It's a therefore, duh. But it's the norm now. Um, in theology and in the churches, to assume the human experience. And the human experience is put in a position that usurps usurps the godly. And that always leads to error, no exception. When the human perspective is elevated and the God perspective, his definitions are withdrawn or set aside, error immediately infiltrates. And there are no exceptions to that. I recognize the world wants to be human-focused. That is not how he has designed it. No exceptions. If you're a church out there listening to me, and there's quite a few, surprisingly, most of them uh, uh, not necessarily doing it willfully, one of the greatest things I've had done, um, to create chaos in my sphere of influence is people have taken my CDs and handed them to their pastors. Oh, that makes me so many friends. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. and they will let me know. They have actually gone on television to let me know what they think of that. It's fantastically humorous and amusing. I, I have to admit, as I've gotten older, I actually delight in it. But there are no exceptions when you are one of these churches that focuses on human perspectives and human definitions and human impacts, either externally or internally. You are going to go to error. No exceptions. Sorry, not really. Fake. Sorry. And it takes discipline to resist the appropriation of God's definition and to substitute our own emotional nonsense. It takes discipline not to do that. To substitute the simple for the complex is what you're doing. You're taking something that is very simple, which is human thought, and you are substituting it for the complexity of an omniscient mind. Fallen humanity loves the simple and loves self-absorption, which in my opinion is the ultimate simple. And if you don't believe me, spend three minutes on idiot face or face idiot. I can't remember which one it is. Actually, I can. Being completely honest, I know it's face idiot. If that goes away, I will just scream with delight. I think it's incredibly harmful. Just look at it. I know you can say, well, I can keep up with my family. In our day, my day, during the Civil War, back before Lincoln was assassinated, we used something called the telephone, or we would visit one another. It was really unusual behavior. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think what has replaced it is healthy at all. I, I, and I, All you have to do is watch the people that have made this material. They will not allow their own children to access it. They know how contravening it is. Uh, anyway, the point is, yeah, a point finally. Most modern biblical commentary, most modern uh, scholarship, most modern pastoral, dissertations and monographs or sermons lectures assume the contemporary human perspective and they do it because it makes money it sells makes people cry if I get your eyes watered up I can steal your wallet it's how it works it is especially true with respect to freedom and slavery every time I hear a lecture on freedom and slavery I hear a human perspective of it and not a God perspective And that, of course, is uh, really uh, mostly a waste of time into the ditch. Everyone goes. uh, And uh, a sad state of affairs. Okay, speaking of slavery, let's start to think from an eternal or the eternal frame of observation. As you know, we have a gentleman from Australia, Dr. Peter. He's written us what he would call a short letter. I have it. Yes. It's not very long. Uh, it, it is, uh, he's, uh, and Dr. Peter, I know you listen to me. It's just astonishing sometimes what you think about, and uh, I wish I could keep up with you. But uh, he's... Uh... He has this letter, and it's a representative analysis of varied subjects of which he thinks of, and one of which is slavery. How about that for fortuitous? I get a letter from Australia, and the topic is slavery. Apparently, there are churches in Australia who are teaching that those with RH negative blood are created unredeemable. Does that make sense? Okay, let's get rid of some of this. Have we extricated the child? Okay, good. Uh-oh, he wanted a cookie? Well, he takes after his father, does he not? Yes, that apparently is true. <laughs> In other words, they are saying in churches in Australia that those people who have RH negative blood are unredeemable, therefore what? That means they cannot, they're incapable of being saved by Jesus Christ. Just wrap your head around that for a second. They're incapable of being saved by omnipotent God. That's what they're saying. Their birth, their RH negative blood, never mind, I'll get to it in a second, but you can start doing it on your own here. They're saying that some, perhaps many, have been born with the disqualifying disqualifying physical condition, which is RH negative blood, and that renders them condemned by birth, does it not? Their very birth, therefore, is the determining event of their lives. All else is subordinated to being born with RH negative blood. I know, it sounds weird, doesn't it? Therefore, salvation, thus salvation through the blood covering of Christ, is inaccessible, unattainable. And I probably should read Dr. Peter's letter. What did I do with it? Oh, I'm on top of it. I won't read all of it, but again, his mind is uh, extraordinary. So here's what he writes on this one part. Here are some other questions for Pastor Steve. Christians quoting books outside of the current canon and regularly use references to non biblical sources as often as superior to the Bible. That's one of his issues. That he and he illustrates that by saying there are blood groups like RH negative that are considered to be proof of Nephilimic or Nephilim ancestry, and all who have it are non redeemable. He points out that uh, there is governmental sources that says the current president and vice president both have R.H. negative blood. (laughs) He wants to know if I have R.H. negative blood. (laughs) And he asks this, so is Pastor Steve non-redeemable? An excellent question. And then he goes on to say, we in Australia have churches here now claiming that if you are RH negative, you can't be saved because you are of the irredeemable line of the Nephilim. And those churches, he says, have lost significant numbers of members. About 15 to 20 percent of the United States has RH negative blood. And he, he makes this comment or this question. If you overly, overly rely on non-biblical resources, where are you going? Well, if they're non-biblical, what are they? They are human-based resources. If they're human-based resources, they have a human-based perspective. And you have substituted your human-based system for the God-based one. And you are now in great difficulty. He also writes this, the existence of dark energy is being questioned. I would say that I've been questioning the existence of dark energy ever since they gave me the existence of dark energy. But he goes on to, with a professional, intelligent position as opposed to mine, learned as opposed to my unlearned. It is postulated that quantum inertia accounts from, for any properties in observation of external solar systems. Science is in a state of flux. where many have been very dogmatic, they are now questioning. In other words, he is saying quantum inertia, something at the microscopic level, is accounting for these properties of the external or the cosmology of the universe. It has been recently been suggested that a plasma model of the solar system needs to be considered. In brief, when plasma is ejected from the sun, then the earth may be affected. That's a radiomagnetic um Process, And he points out a few years ago, a plasma stream passed the earth and caused the earth's rotation to slow. We know that all of your phones are dependent on one thing being stable, and that is the sun. If the sun becomes, if there is a solar expulsion, uh, then everybody's electronic lives are ruined and ended for all time. Ha ha, except mine, because I am completely, uh, I have no cell phone, nor do I have an interest in a cell phone or a iPad or any of that. <sighs> I should say this, I am beginning to believe, to brag about myself. Yesterday, I have a witness I picked up the trumpet for those of you who worry about me and my trumpet. And you should worry about it. You ought to be worried about it. I can do a lot of damage with that trumpet. I can send people to the emergency room at will. Ask the neighbors. But um, I was able to make an adjustment in my breathing system, what's called the support, air support for the trumpet system. And I easily pushed out an F above high C and it was very clear and it was in tune and it was wonderfully done I'm so proud of me let's sing the I love me song ready I have a witness she went well why can't it be in a musical system instead of just you blasting away trying to hurt people it takes time these things take time an f for effort is exactly what i get but uh yeah i am very pleased with that because as you know that's been quite the journey to figure out the physics of the of the human body with regard to how it works in a trumpet okay <coughs> enough of me bragging about me well no we could do it never mind. I, I have heard of this position. This is the lost nephilimic position. Matthew and I went went over this how many years ago? Matt was about ten years ago or so, right? It's been that you're awfully old now. Have you noticed? Anyway, it's an ancient position, somewhat ancient actually. And basically, it states that the sons of God, Genesis six two. Here's where we're going to start to have some fun, as I define fun. Genesis. Let's get that extra one in there. Genesis 6.2. The sons of God. The sons of God in all of Scripture is a reference to angels. In this case, it is fallen angels. Some people don't like that. Go ahead and not like it. It's the fact of the matter. The sons of God, the fallen angels, Jude 6. That did not keep their own domain, but left their own abode, and intentionally caused this nephilimic situation. God has reserved for these everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. I'm going to read First uh, Peter three nineteen and twenty because I wrote it down and I can't read my own handwriting. So. I wrote really small, and my eyes, as you know, have been disrupted. I'll start at 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, uh, sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. By whom he also went and preached to the... Gosh, I can't read it. By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited for in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water and of course it explains that the flood is an anti-type type of uh, baptism which we don't have time for but let me put first peter 3:19 19 and 20, talking about these angels of Genesis 2. 1 Peter 3, 19, 20 is talking about Genesis 6, 2. Jude 6 is talking about Genesis 6, 2. Notice what I'm doing. Notice the connection betwixt Genesis 6, 2 and Jude 6 and 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. And now we add 2 Peter 2, 4 through 7. Which also makes a comment or makes uh, added information with respect to this particular issue. Now, remember Genesis 6 and Genesis 14 and Genesis 19 for a few weeks ago, right? They are all tied together. Genesis 6, Genesis 14, and Genesis 19. That is, of course, uh, the fallen angels, the Nephilim. That is Melchizedek. And that is uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the the extinction of the people of Sodom. So I have the extinction extinction of the people of the earth in Genesis six, and I have the extinction of people in Sodom in Genesis nineteen, and I have Melchizedek in the middle, a yeah, Melchizedek sandwich kind of thing, if you wish, to think of it that way. Also, when you begin this discussion, you'll notice that Luke seventeen is involved. Because that is where, let me get you the exact references for the Internet, 26 through 28. That is where Christ himself, God himself in the flesh, the infinite God, talks about Noah, Lot, and Lot's wife. And he puts all of them together. The sons of God, the daughters of men, Melchizedek, Noah, and Lot, and Sodom. That's what we have. And last Sunday, what did we discuss? We discussed Jude Nine, where I have this unbelievable presentation, if you will, description of Satan and Michael and the body of Moses. All of those interact. Anyway, let's ask the basic obvious question. Since we're in, notice Dr. Peter brought me the Nephilim here. Which is here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. That's our current concerns again. So let's again ask some basic questions about this RH negative nephilimic blood position that has shown up. If one accepts the cosmologically mixed view... And I've presented it as if it is fact because it is fact. The cosmologically mixed view of Genesis 6 is the only view, I believe, that holds up to scrutiny. And I'll talk about that in a second. I've given you the the legitimacy of that position right in front of you. But if you accept the cosmologically mixed view, what do I mean by that? That these are angels that left their abode, June 6th, And went down and and co-mingled somehow physically with the daughters of men and the Nephilim who apparently have RH negative blood. And one of them is the President of the United States. I have to be careful I don't put sarcasm into the actual discussion. Well, I can't be careful because it's inherent. It's innate. It's part of our genetic. We may have RH negative blood, you and me. Do you have RH negative blood? Does your child have RH-positive blood? Well, you would know because the doctor would have talked to you about it. Are you RH-positive? Well, pregnancy is an issue with RH-negative blood. Look around at the older, I almost said women, which would have got me shot. But look around. There are women here that understand this issue very well, and you should understand it, especially having a baby with RH-negative. And are you have arts negative. You, what is the baby, do you know? You forgot? Let the Internet know that my niece forgot. <laughs> it could easily be something to do with the onset of Alzheimer's, which you're witnessing right now as I'm going through it. Your child is doomed. Okay. It's just so long as you know. Probably through it. But the cosmologically mixed view, thought I forgot where I was, didn't you? Is the position that these are angels who have come down and interacted physically with men's daughters, the daughters of men, women, human women, and they have produced a being that has both having both angelic and human structure, and the resultant of that is a giant possessing significant additional capabilities to a normal human being. The statue of Genesis 121, therefore, which I talked about in the pregame, each according to its kind, has been violated at Genesis 6-2. And again, I made the point in the pregame that we are watching each according to its kind. Uh, It's been violated uh, philosophically in this country for a couple of generations. That's the evolutionary philosophy, the atheistic philosophy of evolution. Disregarding for today the motive of these Jude six angels that make this decision to attack mankind or God or who knows what, Whatever their motive may be, it resulted in this multiplication of contamination or some combining of the multiplication and contamination. And those both might be in their motives. Keep that in mind. Mutations then began to arise, contributing to the wickedness of man. And notice that God does not say the wickedness of the angelic realm. He says the wickedness of mankind grows and he has to stop mankind. Why didn't the angels that went, Jude 6, that were part of this issue, how come they did not seem to suffer in the word? They do suffer. They're imprisoned. Great wickedness, Genesis 6, 5, starts to come over the earth. Great wickedness. Wickedness. Now we had this discussion a while back about what is great wickedness, where does great wickedness first appear, and it comes up first in 6-5 of Genesis. And then it also comes up in Genesis thirteen thirteen. So right off the bat I have six five of Genesis, this Jude 6 situation, first Peter 3, 19, 20, 2 Peter two four seven, Luke or, or this situation occurring at six five, and it's immediately connected by Christ, by God to Genesis thirteen thirteen, which is the great wickedness of Sodom. They are put side by side together by Christ himself. Also Genesis eighteen twenty So there is this connectivity, if you will, this, this assimilation, the, uh, symboline there's the right word, of Genesis 6, 5, 13, 13, and Genesis eighteen twenty, Sodom with Jude 6. Notice that I have connected these again. I did it a while back. People do not understand, very often by people I mean uh, theologians, do not understand what has happened at Sodom. And Christ, again, Luke 17, says is going to happen at the end of the age. Whatever it was is going to happen at the end of the age. And it is great wickedness, extraordinary, unprecedented wickedness. And it's going to happen. Again, and when you see it, Israel, he tells Israel, when you see whatever the wickedness of six five and thirteen thirteen of Genesis, when you see it happen again, know the sign of Lot's wife is here. I know everybody says, how does he get, how does he do this? Why does he do it? That's what they really say. But that is how and why I do it. Now, before the vast internet audience, that would be you folks. Hi. Both of you. We outnumber you today by three. I'm kidding. We're going through quite the, as I said, quite the uh, health issue here. I never used to fear the flu. I don't like getting flu shots. I think flu shots are for suckers. The reason I think that is because of the percentage of people who get flu from the flu shot. And so I'm suspicious of the pharmaceutical industry. And, um, but now, once you go through as an elderly, aged person, once you go through something for a month like this, you start to go, OK, maybe I should isolate myself from now on, more so than I already have by the nature of my personality. Where was I? before the vast Internet audience starts sending me a deluge of analog and digital arguments and letters extolling the merits of the other three positions. Here's the other three positions quickly. The religiously mixed position that says, "No, what this is is Sethites, the descendants of Seth, uh, marrying the daughters of the Canaanites, and that's producing RH-negative blood for which you 're unredeemable." I added that last part, that was sarcastic. So that's the sociologically. But how does then uh, I get this um, extraordinary mutated giant that is incredibly wicked and is a killing machine? The word says Nephilim in, has the inference that they fall on people. They In other words, they fall on them almost in a devouring sense. So these are powerful, wicked beings. And there is... Uh, There is uh, legendary evidences or thoughts that they were cannibals of men. How do I get that from a church guy and a woman from across the tracks? I mean, that makes no sense. But yet, that is called the sociologically mixed position. And then there's also the, I'm sorry, the religiously mixed position. I made, I made that error. So that is the religiously mixed position, Sethites, Seth, descendants of Seth, and, and those of the Canaanite, uh, descendancy. The second position is the sociologically mixed interpretation. Sociologically mixed interpretation is the one that says that these are princes or these are the elites. These are the people running the colleges in the United States, for example, and they are they are inbreeding or interbreeding with the uh, people who go to community college, the great unwashed. I have such contempt for the colleges. I can see no difference between the stupidity of Hollywood. My goodness, these people should make a dollar an hour. These are the dumbest people in every room they've ever walked into. Why they they are elevated, put on pedestals, astonishes me. But the only people who might be dumber than them is the academic profession. There is no wisdom here. It's a race to the bottom. What's that? You'll be first? You might already be first. You might be a past tense situation, not a future tense. <laughs> anyway, the sociologically mixed interpretation says that the rich of the society was uh, had gone into the uh, the periphery of the society, or the poor, and that is why they, the great wickedness and this. This, mu- this giant that fell on, the hum- on humanity, on normal humanity, came about. That, again, is ridiculous thinking. The last one is the most uh, accepted because they have so much trouble with an-, with an angel and a human being. And it's the demon possession view. And that is the demon came down and possessed a human male, that human male and that uh, female and then interacted. But the language says sons of God, sons of God, sons of God. There's no room for that to be anything but an angel. So I know that's not uh, the uh, appropriate position to have, but it is by far, I believe, the most literal and therefore the most successful. Let me say that none of the sociological or the demon possession or the religiously mixed view, none of those connect to any of this that I have on the board. Not Genesis 6, not Genesis 14, not Genesis 19, not Luke, not Peter, not 1 Peter, Jude 9, Jude 6, none of that. There's no connection there. Which in my uh, most humble not opinion, renders them immediately invalid. They can't be true because they don't have any relationship here. Those positions are are isolated. They don't fit anywhere in the Bible. Forget about not fitting with Genesis six. They don't fit in the rest of it either. They focus on just Genesis six. This is what's got to be something else. Well, that you go you go all over the Bible. As I said, the word or the phrase "sons of God" everywhere else in Scripture, unanimously, his angels. So these positions don't fit with all of those references, where there is no equivocation. The Bible connects. And if you find yourself with, again, a set-aside, an isolated conclusion, an unconnected destination. An unconnected destination is a euphemism for being in the biblical ditch. I'm just trying to be kind, which is rare for me. And, of course, a ditch is a grave with the ends kicked out. Avoid the ditch. More on that later. Mariel, you have a responsibility to make sure Mariel hears what I'm saying in a few minutes. You're the only Mariel representative. She might be listening. Is that possible? Where is she at? Is that in Arizona? Is that where she is? Washington. Oh, so she's come closer to us. And, and Martha is listening? Oh, Martha is RH negative. Oh, my goodness. I wish she had come today. Is she listening? Hi, person who uh, we have assigned the name Martha. Apparently, you are unredeemable. Well, we'll get to that in a second. huh? Yeah, you're so sad over that. I assume you're not RH negative, huh? <laughs> your sister, Martha, is enjoying you not being here. Ah, that's hilarious. Okay, where was it? Basic, obvious, Nephilim questions. Is the blood group of Martha, RH negative, an evidentiary attribute of Nephilimic descendancy? Is that true or not? In other words, do all the Nephilim have RH negative blood? Do we know that? Have we investigated that? Anybody have access to a Nephilim and, and did some kind of invasive surgery? for the purposes of establishing this doctrine. If we were to conclude the premise, let's go ahead, concede, the, I'm sorry, concede, not conclude, I can't read my writing. If we're to concede the premise for the sake of the discussion, is there any biblical attest, attestation that Nephilimic cell structures? How many cells are in a Nephilim? They're bigger than a human being. we got 27 trillion, so how many cells are in a Nephilim? Is there any evidentiary uh, attestation in the Bible that an Nephilimic DNA survived the Noadic flood? Yes or no? I give you Goliath. The answer is yes. Exhibit A. He's beheaded. Oh, that ties him to who? John the Baptist. That's what Scripture does. You think you've solved the Goliath story? You have to figure out why David buried the head of Goliath at the place of Goliath's skull. called Goliath. Why did he put it there? So you have to solve that location. Why was he beheaded? He was beheaded while he was still alive. Why is that? How big was the head? Who saw it get buried? You, you have lots of places to go, but then you're back to John. You have to go and find all the beheadedness. In all of the Bible, the most prominent being, of course, John the Baptist. What's the relationship between John the Baptist and Goliath? It is incredible. Because John the Baptist has a relationship to who? Elijah. Now, Elijah has a relationship to what? The Passover. So, how much time you got? That's one of my points today. That's for Mario. So if Goliath is an Ephelim, and I think the case is clear that he is, and then I've got, of course, uh, Genesis 14 with the Aniakim, who fought on the side of Abraham in order to rescue Lot, who was brought up by Christ in Luke 17 in the sign with Noah, which got me back to Genesis 6, which takes me to Jude 6, which takes me to Jude 9, and Peter... If Goliath is a Nephilim, who on the Ark of Noah was contaminated? Who was corrupted? We've had this discussion many times. Noah was not contaminated. Genesis 6:9. Genesis 6:9, of course, connects to Genesis 13:13, where I again now have apparently contamination going on where in Sodom, just like Genesis 6. What is the contamination? There can only be seven suspects. As Noah is not contaminated, Genesis 6, 9. And that's what the word means, tammon, from which we get our contamination. He was not. Your Bible will have righteous. It means not contaminated. There can only be seven suspects. Which of the seven had a cursed son? Yes, ma'am, you look anxious. Yes, we have had it many times. Mm -hmm. But we have a letter from Dr. Peter who would like to have us continue this conversation. And since he's now running the church from Australia, Australia. Well, you're trying to get ahead of me, aren't you? Yes, successfully, I might add. Yes, there are Noah. There's eight on the on the ark, and Noah is clearly identified as not contaminated. So you got seven of the seven. How many men you got left? Well, you got eight total, four men, four women. I subtract one, you got seven. How many men are in the seven? Because I subtracted one. I have three men. How many women is that? This is complicated math. And that's why I, as a math professional, quasi will give you that there are four women. So of the seven, three men, four women, which one had a cursed son? I asked that incorrectly. It's a trick question. Which gets us back to crazy Becky, who has contaminated the whole church with sickness. I see you back there. I'll pretend that you're important, because I'm way behind. Holy mackerel, honey child. Okay, it can't be Noah's wife, so now I'm down to six suspects. Why can't it be Noah's wife? Think that through, oh detectives. I will leave the remaining six for you to eliminate to one while I speed along. Are angels capable of procreation? Does Matthew 22, 30, which specifies that angels in heaven... Angels who stayed in their abode did not leave Jude 6. Matthew twenty two thirty is connected to Jude 6. And Peter, and Peter. Those angels do not marry. Does that mean that they can't procreate? Does not being married preclude procreation? Look around, even in this group today. That clearly isn't the case. Uh. Ask your adjacent congregant. Second thought, don't don't do that. How does God define marriage? In the when He says they do not marry, what does He mean by marry? Not our convoluted description of marriage. It can't marriage. It can't get more convoluted than it is now in this country. So there we again we have Genesis nineteen one through three, don't we? Genesis eighteen one through five, because angels are said not to be said to be unable. I'm sorry, angels are not said to be unable to marry. Or procreate, sorry, again. Gosh, angels are not said to be unable to procreate. They're just said that they don't marry if they're in heaven. If they procreate, then they, that would require, and clearly Jude 6 and Genesis 6-2, this is happening, then they would, they would require physical male uh, uh, reproductive systems. And that again takes us to Genesis 19, 1 through 3. Don't put it on there, it is way over there. Where angels came with Christ and they did what? They had the appearances of men. They went into Sodom with the appearance of being a man. Everyone who saw them thought those angels were men. Genesis 18, 1, 5. There all is again. Ask this, are angels living beings? Do they exist? Do they have existence? Existence has all of these characteristics. Are women, daughters of men, living beings? So do I have living beings, angels and living beings that are women, husbands, Answer that question quickly. Are women living beings? A delay, however so slight, a fatality could result. It, 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 is it possible for a living being and a living being to produce a soulless offspring? Is that possible? Is it even logical? If it is soulless, then is it, uh, If it, does it have existence? Is it an automation? Can I have a living being and another living being produce a robot that somehow has, uh, in other words, has no will, has no soul? That's Genesis 3, isn't it? That's the lie of Satan. Living souls and living souls would result in living souls. It's an inheritance. The transmission of a living soul occurs through a process, I believe, traducianism. I put it on the board. I don't have time today now because of Terry. Psalm 51.5, Romans 5.12, Hebrews 7.10. Uh, solidifies the position called traducianism that's your theological word for the day say it with me traducianism what does it mean who cares the traducian position is that there is a naturally installed it's seemingly automated because does omniscience preclude automation in this sense in other words if if god installs something that seems to operate on its own is it really operating on its own considering that he's omniscient let's take the The sun, which is shining right now through the windows, because we have more daylight than anybody else. Take that. Is the sun an automatic device? How much of the operation, the nuclear structure, the fusion aspect of the sun, the burning of the sun, if you will, do you go out into the sunlight and say, this is something that God is mentally accomplishing every instant it is in existence? Or do you go, oh, the sun is just up there for me and my tanning cancer system that I'm now doing? Are there any automations at all? What I'm saying, does omniscience uh, interfere with um, automation? (sighs) But traducianism is the explanation that there is this God-installed system that generates both the soul and the body into the child. That explains the heredity factor. That is why my grandniece, right? Grandniece? Is that what she is? She might not be very bright because there is a hereditary issue here. There's nothing we can do about it. She may be possibly a little not tall horizontally, no, vertically challenged, and perhaps a little bit unattractive. That happened to me. I had a birthmark on my face that caused me to become violent. There's a little truth to that, as a matter of fact. That's right. Most likely to die in prison, they said. Okay, the Catholic view of this does not... Explain the hereditary factor. More on this in a few minutes for Mariel. Therefore, if living beings produce living beings and there is a traducianism or a traducian aspect that for the transference of heredity and the soul, then the Nephilim must have existence. They had existence and they had will. So what are the implications of that? And Jesus Christ, whose very name is salvation, um... Would the would the person who calls himself salvation, he is salvation, the only salvation, there is no other salvation but him, would he choose, because he has will, to withhold his hand of mercy from all of those who have RH negative blood? Does that make any sense? Does this thinking comport with the nature of God? Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all. Let me repeat that. Not willing that any, any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You have to put Second Peter three nine into the RH negative blood nephilim view of the Australians. And I submit uh, the Gibeonites now. Because they're Canaanites, and they are saved by God, and they are honored by God. Oh, I said Canaan, the accursed Canaanites. Woo! what's the name of one of the grandsons of Noah? Oh, it happens to be Canaan, and he's cursed. Does he have RH negative blood? But if anybody would be RH negative, it would be the Gibeonites, because they are Canaanites, and they are redeemed and honored. They are one of the great People of of Scripture, they're extraordinary. Well, you say, well, they lied. They lied because they believed. And they lied to the Israelites, which is not a sin. Okay, maybe a little bit. But you certainly can't blame them. And boy, did it work out. There are none redeemable. I'm sorry, there are none irredeemable. Let me repeat that. There are none irredeemable. How does this work? You have to reconcile not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to uh, repentance with his omniscience. That's an exercise that I believe is basic in theology. As an aside, RH positive people can receive blood from RH negative people. But those with negative blood, RH blood... Cannot accept blood from anybody with a positive blood type. So what does that mean? Figure that out for fun. I could devote the rest of the lecture to RH factors and pregnancies and immune and antibody responses and hemolytic disease and other fascinating newborn conditions that my lovely niece has no idea about. No, I think that I think a positive. Oh, you think you're a positive. <laughs> I hope so. I'm not positive. You're not positive, yeah? Final question, a newborn baby is of uh, this particular section of got to hurry. A newborn baby is RH negative and dies soon after birth. This is my thought experiment, if you will, or what I'm proposing. Who of you outside of some goofy church in Australia, who of you believes that God condemns that baby to eternal torment and utter darkness? Who Don't raise your hands. The churches who teach this nonsense cannot lose membership fast enough. Its origins of this kind of thinking, its conception is in paganism and that led to eugenics. Okay, very fast. Mariel has sent me a letter. Hi, Mariel. Dear Pastor Steve, she should have said, answer me that dude. I need some help unraveling questions that were posed to me about the differences between the Roman Catholic Bible and the Christian Bible. Why do Catholics have more books in their Old Testament? Were those books removed by Protestants or were they added by Catholics? How do I know that my Bible, she says her translation is the New King James, that's what I use. Uh, uh, Mary, I won't have time to explain why, but uh, I do because of the Old King James. How do I know that my Bible is the true word of God, what translation do you use and why? And this is my favorite part. Mariel, one of Travis's sisters, Robin's daughter, etc. Why is it that everybody in your family does that? Because your sister says, when she leaves a message on my phone to make sure that we get there to fix her lights and her windows, she says, hi, this is Martha, sister of Robin from church this says one of travis's sisters robin's daughter etc that is fantastic parenting how did you do this <laughs> they assume no one knows them it's almost like some kind of criminal thought process huh? <laughs> That's really cool. But anyway, Mariel wants to discuss traducianism. Yay! Everyone say yay! That's what she's asking me. So I got two letters for traducianism in the same week. Wow! What a great job I'm doing being fearless leader. I defy you to find another church anywhere in the world that got two letters in one week on traducianism. Not happening. This is it. Mariel is wrestling with the disparities of Catholicism and Protestantism. And the Catholics have a different Traducian position, fundamentally different than the Protestants. They don't have a Traducian position. They have what's called a creation position. Don't conflate, or I mean, don't add that to creation in Genesis. Their position is is that every time a baby is born, God creates a soul. And he installs it. That is why the eugenics movement says you can kill a baby until it comes out of the birth canal. Then, for some reason, it's different. That's when the soul was installed in it by God, running around doing this. But well, he's fast. But that's the Catholic view. And Mariel was wrestling with all these disparities of Catholicism and Protestant, Protestant Protestantism, specifically with regard to the authoritativeness authoritarian, of Scripture. Wow. You can add "nest" to anything, by the way, and make it a word. The Catholic Church, you see, has a foundational disagreement with the Protestants, which actually they have many, 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 not a few many or some many. They have many, many disagreements. The Catholics assert that there is an additional 15 books that are authoritative. What does that mean? That means that they are elevated to infallibility They are the inherent word of God. They have an additional 15. They found 15 that they believe. Uh, and they have declared them to be authoritative. These are the apocrypha, kripha, the cryptic, the hidden books. The Catholics had a council of Trent, 1546. And they deemed that unwritten t- traditions were to be elevated to equal status as the Bible. The church is doing that today. The Christian church, the Protestant, the Protestant church is elevating the traditions of man and saying that they have, they supersede scripture. It's that they have people stand up and say, I have something from God, which is almost okay. It's always a lie. It's self-absorption. Go to face idiot. That's where you belong if you're doing stuff like that. If you have a word from God, what will it say? It will say 1 Peter 3.20. It won't be some made up nonsense. So the church is doing this, but the Catholics invented it. So you're just following Catholicism. And they said the traditions were going to be elevated, and the Jews did it as well. Traditions, Jewish traditions were going to uh, supersede the supremacy, for example, of the feast days of God. The Roman Catholic Church declared themselves as the official interpreter of the Scriptures and the faith. No one is allowed to interpret the Bible. Actually, they would even let you read it for generations contrary to the Roman Catholic interpretation. In other words, you have to have the interpretation of the Catholic uh, uh, establishment, and it cannot be contrary. And then they decreed that the union union with the Catholic Roman Catholic Church is essential to salvation. You have to be a Roman Catholic to be saved. There is no salvation outside of the Roman church. They believe that today. They teach that today. The Roman apostolic church is the ark of salvation, they say. This is a quote. And anyone who does not enter into the Roman apostolic church, the ark of salvation, must be damned sink into the flood. That is universally taught all over the world in every Catholic church. You can only be saved if we say so. They are the ultimate gatekeeper. Reconcile that with Scripture. That's a tradition of man. Elevated above Scripture. And Roman Catholicism is divine. Did you know that? It's human and divine. The attributes of the Roman Church are due to its divinity. They declare themselves to be a divine structure. And the divinity of the Roman Church, therefore, causes the Roman Church to be infallible and without defect. I think that would be a difficult argument to make, considering the behavior of their priesthood. And the Pope is the singular representative of Christ on earth. And Mary is sinless. And and Mary is co-redeemer with Christ, which means that Mary can forgive sin. What is required to forgive sin? How much power does Mary have to have to forgive sin? What takes more power? I see you. I have to keep going. Everyone is just really anxious for me to continue. I've only got 40 more minutes. Crying for more. I could continue, I'll stop there, but you get the point. The Roman system is deeply in conflict with orthodoxy or orthodox protestantism. The chasm is such that it's likely unsolvable, unresolvable, until Christ himself resolves it, separates the truth from the paganism. And, and to what is the inspired scripture uh, and what is humanistic? That's what Mariel says. What is inspired, what is godly, and what is ungodly? Because if it is not godly, what is it? It's ungodly. What is the written authored by the infinite God of creation, and what is merely the thoughts of men? I pretty much answered that right there. That which is from the hand of the omniscient God will demonstrate omniscience and will relentlessly testify of himself, and himself is Jesus Christ. God reveals himself. Ask why. Jesus Christ is on every page of this Bible. Our job is to find find him. It is the fundamental of the Bible. And it will be there. It must be there. And it also must It must have this connectivity that I demonstrated earlier. It has to have integration and unity. All Scripture will have all of that. All these attributes. All Scripture and only Scripture. If the words are simple, if they're shallow, if they're Christless, if they're disconnected, if, then they are not from the infinite God. And the infinite God, uh, infinity is foundational. And infinity is omnidirectional. You find a verse, it goes everywhere in the Bible. Try to demonstrate that just a little. That's how you tell if it's the Word of God, because that's what it does. Every single word does it. He who created the ridiculous trillions and trillions and trillions of galaxies and stars and, and human cells... And grains of sand and living beings, he does the same thing in his Bible, in his Word. So, just ask, Mariel, is Christ revealed? Does it interconnect? Does it reach all directions through Scripture? Is it unimaginably, incomprehensively layered and layered and layered so much that a lifetime is required to just deal, to excavate one single verse? Men have spent lifetimes on one verse, chasing it through the Bible. If that's so, it is the mind of God. If not, it's the counterfeit. It's mankind. The 15 books of the Apocrypha do not qualify. They are replete with simplicity. Case closed. Okay. Don't have time to do this. I was going to read the seven, Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches today. There's seven churches. How many is there? seven churches some people do not think that this is complicated who talks about it who talks to the seven churches whose words would i have read if i had read it those are christ's words does he know what the seven the, the word seven means it's his it's one of his that he sets aside the seven churches seven churches did i say seven i did i said seven that means it's a creation reference. The seven churches of Revelation go back to Genesis. Revelation and Genesis. Learn to make sure that you understand that Revelation and Genesis, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's what Christ calls himself. All sevens return to the first seven, which means the incredible aspect of the creation seven has to be understood at a reasonable level to understand the first seven of the Revelation seven. Does that make sense? I hope it does. How many Revelation sevens are there in the book of Revelation? You ever gone through and counted the sevens in the book of Revelation? Bring a phone. All Revelation 7's connect to the first Revelation 7, which connects to the Genesis 7, which connects to the Passover 7, which connects to the crucifixion 7, the feast of the Lord 7, the 7 millennium 7. You need a bigger phone. Whoever wrote the Revelation 7, spoke the Revelation 7, knew about all the other sevens, all of the sevens. Who spoke the Revelation 7? The creator of time did that, the one in whom all time resides and consists. The outside of time one speaks about the seven churches who are inside of time, but not restricted to one time. Instead, they are described as, if, as they progressed through time before they progressed through time. And then I said I was going to read them. Don't have time to read them. Thank you for that. But I want you to notice a pattern in them. I Maybe mean, I'll do just a little bit, so that you have it for your homework assignment. Who has ever done their homework assignment? That's right, no one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, there's an angel. Over this church. Why is there an angel? How is there an angel over the church? What does that have to do with Jude 6, Genesis 2, 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20? To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says, He who holds the seven stars in His right hand. I know your works, Your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles. If you ever have anybody that says he's an apostle, what did Christ just do? He Attached him to evil. I found people in the phone book who call themselves apostles. They ought to read Revelation 2. 2. Just a suggestion. Trying to help you out here. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my sake. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Notice the pattern. I hold. Uh, he gives himself a, a name. He is he who holds the seven, star, the seven stars in his right hand. Why not his left hand? What's the difference between the right hand and the left hand? How does that go to the goats and the sheep? I know your works. He's omniscient. He gives his name, his new a name that he has. He's he who holds the seven stars. How come there's seven stars? Well, because there's seven churches. How come there's seven angels? Because there's an angel in front of every church. What does that have to do with each other? But you left your first love. At least you figured out the, the lying apostle people. Christ identifies himself as God, as omniscient, the one who knows all things. And he speaks of their faithfulness in every one of these churches except Laodicea, which is our age. He speaks of their faithfulness and, and then of their failure. I have this against you. He actually brings up Satan and evil. So I have, I have a pattern here. Christ is there. I have a good thing. But then here comes evil. What does that remind you of is something that we did a couple of weeks ago. That's right, Matthew 13. This starts to connect to the parables of Matthew and also Mark. Whoever spoke the parables of the sower, the tares, the mustard tree, and the bread and the leaven is obviously the same guy, the same person, the same God who is giving this prophecy and revelation to these seven churches that existed at the time but were representative because he's outside of time. Notice as you read it for your homework assignment that he hates the deeds and the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. So we need to know who the Nicolaitans are. What were they doing? Are they doing it today because he hates their deeds and he hates the Do you think we have Nicolaitans today? Oh, yeah. Good idea to know who they are. Oh, they're right after the fake apostles. Think they're connected? Christ is the sower. He's the holder of the seven stars. He's the first and the last. This is what he says of himself. He's the one with a two-edged sword. Why is it a two-edged sword? Why not a three-edged sword? Why not a four-edged sword? Why not just one edge on the sword? But he has two edges. How come? What does two mean in the Bible? Go get all your twos. What's he use the sword for? He separates the physical from the spiritual. He is the one that can take the physical from the spiritual. He's the one that can put it back together. He's the Son of God, the possessor of the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. How many sevens have we got so far? He is he who is holy and true. He's the holder of the keys who opens and shuts. Where did he get the keys? Who's What's he opening? What's he shutting? He's the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And then Laodicea is different. Next week.